Evening, everybody. If we haven't met before, uh, my name's Ken, and I'm a senior minister here at uh, St. Joseph's, and it's uh, great to have you with us tonight. Um, at the risk of uh, getting you a little bit worried uh, that I'm going to pray for 18 minutes, I'm going to pray. <laughs> um, it'll be shorter than that, but it'd be great to commit our, our time looking at God's Word together. So keep that open, um, and let's pray that God would help us as we seek to understand it. Oh, Lord God, our Father, we pray that this evening your word would be our guide, your Holy Spirit, our teacher, and your glory, our supreme concern. We pray this for Jesus' sake, as well as ours. Amen. I don't know about you, but um, I love a good Western uh, movie. haven't watched one for a while. I don't know if, if you have um, or whether you've watched one at all, uh, but I just want to, um, you to imagine for a minute that you're watching um, a good cowboy uh, film. Uh, and this is a really um, old school one, so of course uh, the hero has to be Clint Eastwood. Um, and actually just so that I can properly get in role, I thought I would try and um, complete the look for myself. Um, I'm not quite sure if that is, that is, is that doing it? Yeah, is that, is that? And, uh, and so, so Clint, um, now you're wondering, is he really going to preach like this for the whole sermon? But here's Clint, right, okay? And he, he's, he's coming towards the end of the film, right? And so we're heading towards uh, the inevitable climax, and Clint has run the bad guys down to a particular point out there in the wild, wild west. Um, and he's on his way to the inevitable confrontation with his six-shooter, that maybe doesn't really do the look, does it? Uh, but he comes across this, um, this, this old chapel, kind of sort of in the middle of nowhere, and there's a, there's a, there's a priest in charge of the chapel there, and, and he stops there, and the priest feeds him and uh, makes sure his horses have got some hay and some water properly tended. And then when Clint heads, you know, gets, gets saddled up and is about to move off, uh, the, the um, priest, uh, he, he goes... He comes to him and, he, and, he, and he, he just begs with him to let him come with him. He goes, let me help you. Please let me come with you. I, I want to help. And in response, Clint narrows his eyes with that steely glare of his. And he goes, no, Padre, you stay here and you just pray. And then, the camera pans back as Clint gets on his horse and starts to head off out there into the scrubland to get the bad guys. And the priest, we see, falls down on his knees and he starts praying. And my question today for you is, is which of those two characters do you want the camera to follow? I suspect that for most of us watching the film, we want, we want to go with Clint. We want to see what happens at the inevitable showdown because that's where the action is. And that's what happens in the film. We, 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 we don't stay with the guy praying on his knees. We stay with the guy heading off to get the bad guys. And I think that actually, yeah, because you know, what's this guy doing? What's he doing? He's just praying. And I, and I think, I suspect, a lot of what is wrong with our view of praying comes from that one word, just. You just pray. <laughs> you know, if there's nothing useful you can do, 
<laughs> if there's nothing, you know, that would actually help, then, well, you might as well pray. Well, if you're ever tempted to think of prayer in that kind of way, then Daniel 9 is the antidote. And I think that is definitely the end of this because it's actually quite hot. Um, so do have Daniel 9 uh, before you. As we saw before Easter, if you've been around in church, uh, things go a little bit bonkers in the second half of this book of Daniel, as Daniel receives an, a string of extraordinary visions of the rising and the falling of empires, whilst God sits sovereign, completely in control on his throne. He reigns supreme. Earth-shattering events are happening or being revealed to Daniel. And yet here in chapter 9, God zooms in to show us that right at the heart of the action, right at the heart of God's plans, is a man falling to his knees and praying. And as Daniel prays, he shows us three key marks of prayer that I want us to know. Firstly, we see that the inspiration is God's word. As at the beginning of the chapter, Daniel, he's, he's reading his Bible. Did you see that? Verse 1, in the first year of Darius, the son of Ahurus, a mede by a, a descent by a descent a mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that, according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet, must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely, seventy years. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. So back at the end of chapter five, if you were here with us then, Belshazzar, the king of the Babylonians, is slain. There's a coup. And overnight, Darius the Mede comes to power. In just one night, everything in the nation changed. Can you, can you imagine if that happened in Britain for us? What would it, what would it be like if, if we were suddenly conquered by a, an invading army and they, they rounded up all of the leaders, the royal family, the king, the prime minister and the government, and they, and they slaughtered them? What would you do? You know, I, I suspect we'd all be kind of reaching for our phones, scrolling through our, our news feed, just you know, switching on the radio, desperately trying to figure out what is going on, what is happening. Maybe we might even be starting to pack a bag, getting ready to flee. But not Daniel. No. What does he do in this moment of crisis? He reaches for his Bible. He says, no, 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 no. I must turn to the Lord of all heaven and earth. What is going on? What is reality here? Only the Lord can tell me. Let his word guide me. That Daniel is reading his Bible is significant. We've seen that Daniel is someone who is privileged to receive incredible visions from the Lord that give him enormous insights into what he is doing in history. And yet, he is still primarily devoted to hearing God speak to him through his word, the Bible. And speak to him, God does, because as he's reading Jeremiah the prophet in verse 2, he learns that God's people's exile from Jerusalem will last for 70 years. As in Jeremiah 25, the Lord had said, the whole country will become a desolate wasteland. This is through the prophet Jeremiah. Years before, God had said, here's, here's what's going to happen. 
The whole country will become a desolate wasteland and these nations will serve the king of Babylon for 70 years, including the Israelites, God's people. And I'm sure Daniel must have read on to Jeremiah 29 when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come back to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. And as Daniel sees that promise, you, you can imagine him doing, doing the mass, just you know, maybe counting up on his fingers, going, oh, gosh, it's, it's been about 70 years. And the Babylons have fallen, and so the end is near. And notice what this realization makes Daniel do in verse 3. Knowing this, Daniel is stirred not to pack his bags, no, to pray. He, he doesn't, doesn't just see this promise and think, oh, this is sweet. <laughs> I can just sit back and chillax and wait for God to just do his thing. No. Daniel knows two wonderful things about God. One, he knows that God is sovereign. God is totally in control of all things. And two, he knows that God chooses to work through the prayers of his people. Isn't that incredible? Daniel reads the scriptures, and he's like a man with a check from heaven, a check promising restoration, promising it soon for the people of God. So Daniel wants to knuckle down and and pray for this to happen. He he says, I want to to cash the check, Lord. (laughs) You've promised it, so I'm going to claim it. As he sees prayer, I, I wonder if this is how you see prayer. He sees prayer as a wonderful opportunity to partner with God his Father. This is a vital lesson. A vital lesson for us is the cause of God acting in history is not simply his promise. It's also the praying of his people. God moves, he works in that way. So, so you come to the Bible to find out what God has promised as Daniel did here. And then you pray for it to happen. For, for example, has God promised that the gospel is going to go out to the very ends of the earth? Yes, he has. If you know Acts 1, you know that. Read it in your Bible. And then come to the church prayer meeting. Go to your school CU and pray for that. Claim that promise. Has God promised wisdom for those who seek it? Well, yes, in loads of places. Proverbs 2. Especially in Proverbs. Proverbs 2, though. Read that. And then pray for God. Pray every morning as you get up. Pray for God to guide you through the various different decisions you've got to make each day. Has God promised judgment for those who reject Jesus? In many places and in many ways. Not least 2 Peter chapter 3. So, so read that. And then Get on your knees and pray. Pray with urgency for friends and family members who do not yet know the Lord for them to turn to him before it's too late. We all struggle to pray, folks, don't we? We all struggle. But let me ask you, if, you're, if you struggle to pray because it seems dull, it seems, it seems pointless, because maybe you sometimes think, oh, I should pray, but I, I don't quite even know what to pray. Can I ask you, how is your Bible reading? It may well be that the reason we're not better prayers is because we're not better Bible readers. It's 
there, it's here, in the promises of God, that we will find the greatest fuel for our prayer lives. Here's the second lesson that I think it's helpful to learn from Daniel's prayer, which is that the appeal is to God's mercy. I don't know if you've ever met um, anybody famous. We've uh, had uh, one or two uh, minor celebrities actually come to the church uh, here at St. Joseph's over the first seven years of the life of the church, uh, including uh, Debbie Flood, the two-time Olympic silver medalist in rowing, and Shola Amiobi, the former Newcastle United and Nigeria striker, uh, who, if you haven't come across him, was a bit of a legend about 10 years or so ago here in the tune. Now, while that's not quite like having some kind of A-lister Hollywood celeb uh, turn up, and we didn't roll out the red carpet for these folks. I mean, it was quite something those two mornings that we had those guys with us. As um, people were flocking around, yeah, to, 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 to get autographs and to take selfies, exhibit A, um, and myself included. Uh, they were trying on Debbie's Olympic medals. Actually, in fact, I interviewed Debbie here at the front of the stage and, and couldn't resist trying on her medals, heavy Olympic medals, by the way, really heavy, um, and, uh, and uh, carry her Olympic torch, because she was a torch bearer, I think, at London 2012 as well. Um, and the, the folks generally kind of greeted them like heroes, as opposed to how people generally tend to greet me on a Sunday. I, I'm, not, I'm not jealous, I'm not, me, I'm not complaining, all right, all I'm trying to say is that basically how you interact with someone depends on who you think they are. Isn't that right? And, and that's certainly the case with Daniel here in Daniel 9, isn't it? He believes that God is righteous, absolutely right in everything he does. He keeps saying it. And so throughout his prayer, actually, Daniel goes back and forth acknowledging God's righteousness and his faithfulness on the one hand and his people's sinfulness on the other. Verse 4. Here's a great example, Daniel prays, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, we have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled. Verse 7, to you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us, open shame. Verse 14, for the Lord our God is righteous in all the works that he has done, and we have not obeyed his voice. And notice in all of this, as Daniel reflects on the sinfulness of God's people, he includes himself. We have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. That's really striking, isn't it? Because from what we know of Daniel's life, he was pretty obedient. It would have been so easy for him to pray, Lord, hear my prayer, because even though everyone else has been pretty hopeless, <laughs> I've been pretty good. <laughs> I mean, like when I first arrived in Babylon, you know, I, I didn't bow the knee to their gods and um, yeah, just go along with everything they asked. I, I drew a line. <laughs> you can read about that in Daniel chapter 1, Lord. And, and, and what, about, what about when I, I prayed faithfully to you? And even though they ended up throwing me to the lions, you, you can read about that in Daniel chapter 6, Lord. Have you, have you read that, Lord? 
No, Daniel is of no doubt that he is a sinner too. So, so even though he hasn't sinned at every point that the people have, he is nevertheless a part of them. And he therefore identifies with them as he prays. And I think there's a, an important lesson for us in that. I guess that many of us are really worried about our country and the way that we are drifting further and further away from God and, and therefore further, further away from the love that our society so needs in order to be more caring and united. And I think we should be concerned about that. And I really think we should be praying about that fervently. But I wonder if in our prayers for our country we're too quick to distance ourselves from the sins of those around us. And that one of the reasons we're not seeing those prayers answered in the way we'd like is because we're too slow, too reluctant, and too blind to confess our own complicity, our own sins. And to cry out like Daniel does in verse 18, we do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. Friends, that is the basis of all true prayer. It appeals not to our own goodness, but God's great, everlasting, ever-loving mercy. Then thirdly, finally, let's see. The concern in Daniel's prayer is for God's glory. Uh, for while Daniel is concerned about the plight of his people, we, we see that as he pours his heart out for his people, not least for their long exile in Babylon <laughs> to come to an end so they can go home to Jerusalem because there's no place like home. Nevertheless, the primary concern in Daniel's prayer is for God's sake, not the sake of his people. Do you see this? In verse 16, Daniel prays, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy hill. Verse 17, for your own sake, O Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary. And again in verse 19, Delay not for your own sake, O oh my God. For your city and your people are called by your name. God has bound his glory up with what is going on with his people. He's that committed to them. Uh, so in everything that has happened, it is actually God's name that has been dragged through the mud with the people's sin. And so greater than Daniel's concern for the welfare of his people is a concern for the Lord's reputation. And again, that will always be the concern of genuine Christian prayer. That is, after all, how Jesus taught his disciples to pray, isn't it? His disciples come to him one day, they say, Lord, Lord, teach us to pray. And, and Jesus, he says, he says to them, when you pray, say, our Father in heaven, and then what's the, what's the first prayer point that he puts on our prayer list? Hallowed be your name. And that, I think, is a great antidote to the vending machine kind of prayers we pray. Do you know how vending machine prayer works? Well, you know how vending machine works. I'm, I'm sure you've used one. My, my brother and I used to love vending machines when we were younger because we, we'd go swimming with my dad, and then at the end of swimming... Dad would give us each a 20 pence piece. Oh, a big, 
spender, my dad. Um, I mean, this is, this is the 80s, people. This, is, this, was, this was real money back then. Um, but that, the excitement that filled our tiny minds as we stood in front of that big metal box of delights and then tried to decide, what will we spend our 20 pence on? Will it be a packet of quavers? Or <laughs> maybe some space invaders? Could it, could it be some frazzles? Or maybe even two items, a packet of polos and a Freddo. I tell you what, it was the best part of our week, every week, seriously. We, re- we led a very sheltered life. <laughs> but, but you know how a vending machine works. You feel a bit peckish, so you come to it with your money, you put the money in, and then you select what you want. Uh, folks, I think that's what we do with God quite a bit in prayer, don't we? We, we, we feel we need a little something from him. <laughs> uh, and so we come to him with proof of our own worthiness. Or at the very least, hiding all the rest of the baggage. Uh, and then we select what we want and what we think we so rightly deserve from him. Good exam results. Some great health for ourselves and our family. Uh, an easy life. And ultimately a ticket for, to heaven. And yet, here we see in Daniel 9, the goal of biblical prayer. Daniel's greatest concern is not to get what he wants. Oh no. The key to biblical prayer, I wonder if we've got this. The key to biblical prayer is to, first and foremost, worship. To stand before our maker and let ourselves be amazed. Daniel allows the character of God, his righteousness, his mercy, his greatness, his reliability, his love, his mercy, to grip his imagination and to fill his horizon. He's been reading about it in Jeremiah. And like a tidal wave, it floods over him as he prays. What about my needs, Ken, you say? Isn't God concerned about them? Well, Because God's glory is bound up in the good of his people. If we follow Daniel's example and heed the teaching of Jesus and make honoring God the ultimate concern in our prayers, then it will be for our good in the long run. It will be. For it may be that as we pray for God's name to be honored in our lives, that those exam results that we are stressing so much about might start to recede a little bit in terms of their importance. I'm not saying they're unimportant. No, not by any manner or means. Uh, I'm just saying they're not of ultimate importance, are they, compared to, well, particularly when we we grasp God's greatness and see the glory of his plans. They're so much bigger than anything we could plan for our lives. And so the same could be said about our troublesome health issue, our work concern, or whatever it is that usually fills our horizons and, uh, and wants to be the focus of our prayers more than God's glory. What will it be that matters most in a thousand years' time? It will be that we recognize and we experience the glory of God and submit it in prayer to his best purposes and plans for our lives. So let's finish by asking, what was God's answer to Daniel's prayer? (laughs) It comes really fast, actually. We We didn't read it. You can go home and read the rest of the chapter. It comes really fast as Daniel, before he's even managed to stick an amen on his prayer at the end of verse 21, the angel Gabriel arrives. And while we need to note that God sometimes does answer prayer in that way, that quickly, at other times we will have to wait. 
But Daniel's answer is instant, and it is another incredible, mind-blowing vision. We don't have time to go into it in depth now, but the main point of it is clear. Daniel's been thinking about the 70 years that need to be fulfilled before God's people, the Israelites, are enabled to go home to Jerusalem. Yet through this vision, God says, whoa, 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 Daniel, forget about 70 years. Think seven times 70 years, as there is something far bigger, something far better coming. I have something far greater planned for my people than them merely to return to Jerusalem. As in 490 years' time, I will put an end to sin through my anointed Savior. So what Daniel receives in this vision is far more than he prayed for. He, he prayed for an end to exile, but he's promised an end to sin. He asked for a return for God's people, but he's promised the arrival of God's Son. He asked for Jerusalem and is given Jesus. Daniel here, he's, he's like a man who's climbed to the top of a summit of a mountain. Have you ever, ever done this? <laughs> and then he discovers there's an even bigger summit beyond that that he hadn't seen as he climbed. Because it is Jesus that all of God's purposes have been pointing to. As, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 1, all God's promises have their yes and amen in Jesus. And so the answer to genuine Christian prayer is actually Jesus. Because he is the only one who meets our deepest needs and our greatest longings. Uh, there'll be many times, I'm sure maybe you've experienced this already, when we will pray and God doesn't necessarily grant that request. But rest assured, God is at work. He is answering our prayers by meeting the need that lies behind our request. Because ultimately, what we are praying for is Jesus, God's Son. Because ultimately, He's what we most need. And nothing is more important than Him. And so let's close well, this sermon and our service now by, by singing. Take the world, but give me Jesus. All its joys are but a name. Take the world, but give me Jesus, sweetest comfort of my soul. Take the world, but give me Jesus. In his cross my trust shall be. Take the world, but give me Jesus. Till that day, my Lord, I see. Let's stand together and sing.